Hi, I'm Dr. Peter Elliott. Today I'm giving a lecture on gorillas and sign language with the help of Amy, the gorilla. Now, Amy has a wide vocabulary, so this lecture probably won't be for kids. And anything she says is not reflective of our scientific institute. Now, it Riddle, took many years... Me. Uh, Riddle, Wait a second, me. Amy. Uh, it took many years to have her learn sign language Riddle, and... Uh, me. Amy, what is Riddle, it? Riddle, me. Paper. Riddle. Uh, what? Okay. Uh, let me read this. Uh, okay. Riddle me this, Batman. What has two but also one? Wait, wait, wait. I know this one. I know this one. Is it a sparrow with a machine gun? Nah, that, that can't be it. That'd be too obvious. Two dudes. One double feature. Welcome! Oh, welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films. That is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. Dude Two, Joe. And I'm asleep right now. Good night, Joey. Man, we, if you if you really wanted me to, we could have waited a couple hours, but I guess 12, 12, 10 in the afternoon is too early. Yeah, 12, 10 in the afternoon on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's too early. That's just that's just my lifestyle. I didn't think I was going to make it today because I went to sleep at like one thirty, but I woke up before seven for some reason. That's to me. That's the somewhat decent amount of time to sleep at least it, it is very strange it is a little bit strange but other than that how are you dude two uh dude two is is pretty okay um physically we're back at work now for the time being we'll see what happens is it like a little bit crazy or are you like kind of stressed or how are you feeling about that i'm i'm so, i'm a little stressed admittedly um you know obviously they're they're trying to provide the safest environment that they can without closing things you know and i appreciate them for that they do a deep cleaning of, of the building and all that and you know we have people wear masks and stuff but you know there's only there is only so much really and just the way things are trending in new jersey i wouldn't be surprised if we went back at some point uh, went back home at some point, but we'll see what happens. In the meantime, if you want to keep things running, folks, even though they probably shouldn't be in certain areas, but if you want that to happen, just wash your hands, maintain social distance, and wear a mask, please. Please. Like, I know you're getting tired. I know you're getting tired of hearing that every day of your life, but it, it it's the only thing we have right now, especially given that the vaccine rollout, you know, in certain instances is going to be pretty slow. You know, we don't, like, as far as when I'm getting it, I, I'm i in a semi-prioritized group, but at the same time, it feels like they keep adding other groups before, before me. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But again, if you're doing anything, just please, 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 please wear a mask and social distance and, you know, wash your hands and all that, all that good stuff. And also just... The reason it's often said is because there's people out there, unfortunately, that just aren't doing it. And there's some people that refuse outright to do it. And so 
again, just do it. <laughs> it's it's not meant to be an inconvenience to you. It's meant to be a convenience and a safety for everyone else plus you. So we want this thing to end. We want to get back to physically interacting with people. I would love at some point to actually do an in-person episode with Dude 2 at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, just to be selfish for a hot second there, which is ironic. But the point is still, just wear a mask, wash your hands, and be socially distant. Please. Um, but other than that, I've been watching, like I, said, like I usually do, I watch movies. I was watching uh, The Vampire Bat, which is a Fay Ray movie I had never seen before. That surprises me. Well, what's crazy about it is that there's not a lot of Fay Ray movies on Blu-ray. I mean, Fay Ray, of course, was the leading lady in King Kong. Um, and to my knowledge, there's only a handful of her movies that are on Blu-ray. And to be fair, nothing is on the level of, like, importance and, you know, have some, some sort of notoriety as King Kong. But it's still kind of crazy because I think I only own two other movies of hers on Blu-ray. And I've only seen, like, a handful um in in general well, actually like three because most dangerous game mu- mystery the wax museum and now the vampire bat which was all right uh dwight fry who of course played renfield in the universal dracula is in it and he's just delightfully kind of creepy you know uh that then that's always fun and um i had to get this through ebay this disc because it it seemed like it was like out of print at other retailers and such like when i was looking at other sites i had to get it through other sellers so and the cheapest one i could find was on ebay um and uh I'm, i was glad to pick that up for a semi-reasonable price you know and it's just great to you know see older movies that get restored that you might not have ever seen before so that's nice um but more importantly i picked up um Screen Factory's been putting out these universal horror box sets mm-hmm. the last couple of months or last year or so, and this set has a bunch of, like, jungle and gorilla movies, and the first movie in that, this that set... That screams. That screams Joey. It does scream me. <laughs> Joey. Joey just, you know, anything to do with the jungle or gorillas, and you you throw both in there. Oof. You, you got him as a customer for life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The first movie in this set, I, I got this set partly because uh, I wanted to see the work of uh, uh, Charles Gamora, who is a gorilla suit guy, as I mentioned in one of the previous episodes, and also did some work on War of the Worlds. He has a gorilla suit in this movie, The Monster and the Girl, which I just thought was going to be a standard gorilla movie, and I would have had a good time, it would have been fun, but it is a lot better and a lot more interesting than I would have ever expected it to be, like this movie starts out like a courtroom drama, becomes like almost like almost like a film noir, then becomes like a mad scientist flick and like a revenge story involving a gorilla. There's like a brain transplant involved, but there's actually like, you know, scene like some touching scenes like the, the, the gorilla recognize like the, the dog recognizes that the gorilla, you know, even though it's a dude in a different body or some, you know, some ridiculous nonsense. Like this gorilla has the memories of some dude's brain and he's like going off, like killing (laughs) the people who wrong, who wronged his sister or whatever. Um, it's actually for what it is, it's fairly touching and, uh, it's a lot better than I would have expected it to be. That's, you know what? That sounds really wild. Actually. (laughs) I remember, (laughs) you know what? 
I do remember you kind of like trying to explain it to me the first time you watched it, and I'm just like, it's all going over my head. I'm just like, uh huh. <laughs> okay, okay. It's like, not that I wasn't interested, I just was kind of confused. And then, like, <laughs> like you're like, is, is this even the same? Is this even the same movie that you're talking about now? Or you're talking about like five different movies. Like, are you sure this is? This what is it the the mo- like uh, is it just the girl now is this like a two pack it's like like is there one two movies I'm just really curious like initially I thought like they packaged like the wrong disc in there or something when I when the movie started but I'm like oh <laughs> oh this is interesting also uh, uh, uh of note um the the uh so Cliff Edwards is in this movie for those who don't know Cliff Edwards was like a radio radio guy and you know and more importantly for a lot of people and generations of families he played jiminy cricket in pinocchio the 1940 disney film and i like that uh as as one of the main villains uh we have paul lucas who played professor aranax in the 1954 disney film Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea oh that's another good one yeah so uh, an interesting, interesting uh, cast of characters there. But have you seen anything good lately, dude? One. Well, actually, I will say um, I fin. Um, oddly enough, the first thing I want to mention is um, I finished watching Logan's Run. Have you seen Logan's Run? I've seen bits and pieces of it. I I was really curious about it because it's one of those science fiction movies that are like it's like super influential, like a lot of different movies and stuff like Blade Runner and whatnot were kind of inspired by it. Hunger Games is inspired by it. Minority Report, all types of different things. It stars Michael York, who I will always know as Basil Exposition from Austin Powers. <laughs> that's that's just it. And uh, it's also got, uh, what's her name? Jenny Agater, who oh we, we see in so much, man. Yeah, America Werewolf, uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier. You could just look at her filmography and be like, she she gets work and she's always really good. Walk, yeah, Walkabout. Yeah, she's been in a bunch of stuff. She's in Child's Play too. She gets killed by Chucky. Spoiler alert. Nice. <laughs> but um, funny enough, like I initially started watching it when I was twenty three because I got the Blu Ray from my old job and. I was really excited to watch it, but I just never finished it. And then years, literally, jump to now, and if you know the plot of the movie, where, like, it's basically this whole, like, dystopian city under, like, a dome because they think the outside world's uninhabitable, like Snowpiercer kind of thing. Right. And basically, in this city, you can do anything. You can live, like, life's pleasures to your heart's content you can you can live in peace and harmony however you can only live till you're 30 years old Hmm. so and every every person in the city has like a gem embedded into their hand and as as you get older like the colors change and then once it starts flashing red that means you're getting to that point where you're probably gonna die and uh they promise whether or not you can be renewed so you can live past that age and um, if you don't, you don't. And then if you run, you get chased by these like officers called Sandman or Sandmen, and that's like the main character. It's like similar like Blade Runners, um, except you know they're killing actual people, and no one's ever seen like an old person at all. 
so like there's a point they actually like find an old person and they're like those cracks on your face can i touch them do they hurt it's kind of wild it kind of made me think of like if flash gordon and uh uh i'm blanking on it planet of the apes like take like sort of those like like similar concepts and stories and smash them together like vibes okay like and you kind of get the movie. And it's PG, and there's, like, tons of nudity in it and, and blood and violence, which is kind of wild, too. <laughs> but, you know, it's also, like, that pre-PG-13 era. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was definitely interesting. And um, just the fact that I, I finished, wa- I finally f- watched the whole thing after turning 30. I don't know. It was kind of weird just going, maybe I shouldn't have watched this. <laughs> <laughs> the big one as far as movies that i watched this week uh I w- there was a movie that was supposed to come out earlier last year called promising young woman i've told you all about this one i'm not gonna spoil anything right but i was really excited to see it i remember seeing a poster for it that looked really cool it was like a white background and there was like these kind of like pink like rocky horror picture show like kind of lips that looked really glossy and they looked like they were melting a little bit or like the lipstick was melting and then like the main character was like laying on the bottom lip with her arms spread out and her legs were like resting on the top lip and then in cursive it said promising young woman i thought it looked really cool and i just watched the trailer for it it looked really interesting the basic premise is carrie mulligan's character cassie pretends to be drunk at par at like parties and bars and clubs and these uh quote unquote like nice guys go to try to help her but what they're actually doing is you know trying to get her to go back to their apartment so um they can have their way with her and then as that starts picking up and they start actually like starting to do things she like breaks out of her like fake drunkness and says hey what are you doing and they just get like white as a sheet terrified and they're like basically she teaches them a lesson we don't really ever know what exactly she does there's a lot of ambiguity in a lot of aspects of this movie right but it's it's a really intense movie and it's one of those movies that i i've seen so many opinions of based on how people react to the ending, how people react to the overall message, the themes and how they're portrayed in this kind of like revenge thriller, dark comedy kind of approach. I'd be really curious to hear your guys' thoughts, you listeners. If any of you have seen the movie, whether you got it on VOD or uh, however, uh, I'm just really curious. It's one of those movies I'm just like reading all the reviews of. Yeah, it definitely sounded like an... um... A very different and uh, uh, certainly interesting, right? Film. It's it's. <laughs> I like the drag there. It's like interesting. Uh... <laughs> no, like I will. <clears throat> I will say this. It feels like one of those movies that, not that that was their their drive. <clears throat> excuse me. Not that that was their drive when they were making it, but it felt like one of those movies that they knew guaranteed when they went into it that a lot of people were going to feel a certain way about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like, uh, like American psycho guaranteed. There's going to be people that watch that, that just think, what the hell is this? What is happening? It's kind of like, not, not to say that American psycho is anywhere near 
the same vibe or maybe it is i don't know just depending on how you feel but it's like that same vibe of like clearly this is a movie that was made to say something that had a point and depending on how well it tells that point will depend on how people feel about it i guess is what i'm saying okay so but that's what i watched (laughs) very That's that's what i've been doing uh, so we have an eclectic uh, group of films. You know, we got uh, interesting science fiction. We got a a horror. You know, we 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 got Carrie Mulligan stuff. We got uh, gorilla noir courtroom drama revenge flicks, um, <laughs> and Basil Exposition shooting people with a ray gun while wearing black tights. Yeah. And on that note, let's uh, let's talk about Congo. <laughs> well, you know what? I do think there should be. It's just, this is another one of those episodes that I think needs a little bit of context because I imagine a lot of people will look at the pairings and go, "What the hell does Congo and Batman Forever have to do with anything?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is by far a hundred and ten percent a guilty pleasure episode for Joe. This is very much a Joey and I episode, similar to like Paddington Hamilton. Where, again, there's not really any kind of thematic or narrative or really any, like, true connection outside of both movies were made in 95 in the summer or released in 95 in the summer. Yeah. So, basically, uh, that's all it really is. It's just Joey. Joey and I are just really wanting to just kind of address some guilty pleasures. Though, if I'm being honest, I never really liked the term guilty pleasure. Have I said this to you? You've said this to me uh, on a number of occasions, yes. Yeah, I just, it's the only, it's the only term that really exists to explain what it's explaining, kind of, but I just don't like the idea of perpetuating this thought of feeling bad about liking something. It's like, even if something you know is bad, like, it's like junk food. I think that's almost a better way to explain it. It's like, I'll eat, I'll eat a, a hostess snack cake. Well, I won't, I don't really like hostess snack cakes, but the point is... I'll eat a snack cake. No, it's not good for me, but I'll still enjoy it, and I won't feel bad about it. I might physically feel bad because it's a snack cake, but you get what I mean. It's, uh, junk junk food cinema, which I think is the name of a podcast. <laughs> you know what? If it's a good podcast, I'll gladly say, hey, check them out, but I've never heard of it, so <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, I think Feehan, Feehan listens to it, so shout, shout out to Feehan. I know you'll get a kick out of this episode. Um so, Congo. All right, Congo. Like this. This is definitely my pick for this episode. In case you could not tell already, nineteen ninety five. Frank Marshall. Nineteen ninety five. Yes, Frank Marshall's. I mean, well, Frank Marshall for one. Um, you know, whenever people like people obviously bring up Kathleen Kennedy a lot because obviously she has a big role. She's she's the head honcho at Lucasfilm. She is the new George Lucas. I think a lot of people will turn off our podcast after you after you said that. <laughs> anyway, like pe- what people tend to forget is that uh, she's married, and her partner and her produced a number of movies together, a lot including a lot of Steven Spielberg's films. You know, like the Indiana like Jones. Yeah, she's been in the business for a long time, and she's produced so many, a lot of classics. Honestly, a lot of classics. Yeah, a lot, a lot of classics uh, with Frank Frank Marshall, um, and this was a case where 1995. Just picture this, right? Michael Crichton is the hot thing right now because Jurassic Park. I think at this point, Jurassic Park was 
the biggest movie of all time at that point in time. Or if not the, if not the, it's probably one of the biggest because Titanic was still a few years away. And, you know, everybody wants some Michael Crichton stuff. And, you know, people talk about, oh, like the, the, the action scenes and the sense of adventure and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, now what do they want to do? Well, let's make another Michael Crichton thing. We can't make Jurassic Park. So let's try to get as much of like a Jurassic Park semblance as much as we can. Like it's a science fiction story. There's some adventure to it. Michael Crichton stuff. Um, Stan, Win- I believe Stan Winston worked on the, the, the gorilla stuff. I think that's what it said in the opening credits. Yeah. Yeah. Like Stan Winston studio uh, worked on this and <laughs> it turns out the way that it does it does not turn out like jurassic park i'll uh i'll say that much (laughs) yeah you know what i've never this is the officially the second time i've ever seen this movie and the first time i ever saw the movie was last year (laughs) (laughs) and it's just it was one of those movies at least for me that i i knew of because of the toys that was like the main focus because mm-hmm. anytime I went to the store to buy whatever I was looking for, I would always see the toys. And I always thought they looked cool. Like, they're all these, like, colorful, kind of scary-looking gorillas and apes and various creatures. Gorilla-like creatures. They had, like, sharp fangs and, like, exposed bones and stuff. It was kind of, like, similar to, you know, like you are saying, the Jurassic Park-type toys. Where there was just, like, all different options of different dinosaurs. And you can get, like, the Velociraptor. You can get, um the you know stegosaurus or the like the little ram thing which i always liked the ram dinosaur because you just poked a button and his head collapsed and you could just ram him into things it was just fun or like the big t-rex that came with like a little guy so he looked like he was eating someone like ah! right know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. there was just a lot of congo toys in that same vein and so that was my only exposure really outside of just knowing that it was a movie that existed and it just never it just never stayed in my mind as something that was worth remembering or worth thinking about outside of that interesting like oh i used to see toys for that but at one point i don't know i don't know when we first talked about congo but i just at some point we talked about like kind of guilty pleasure movies and you talked about how congo was like a big movie for you when you were a kid and it was one of like those movies you really dug and just out of sheer curiosity, I decided to watch it the first time. You you warned me against it, so I won't I won't say that you made me watch it because you didn't. I made myself watch it, but I hate myself for it. <laughs> <laughs> so Congo, for those of you who don't know, um, there's an expedition in Africa that goes wrong. Uh, you know, Bruce Campbell goes missing. Uh, that's, that's already like the first like red flag that when you make Bruce Campbell, like the character they have to find, no, Bruce Campbell should be the one finding the character. Then you'd be, have something entertaining. You know, if you had Matt Damon as that character, it'd probably be more acceptable. And you know what? You can continue the fun trope of Matt Damon having to get rescued. Yes. So anyhow, there, there's an expedition that they have to go to, to try to find him, but there's also... There's a lot of competing things. Like, you have this guy. I don't remember the main character's name, because it doesn't matter. The guy has this talking gorilla. She Elliot? does. Uh, 
Elliot. Yeah, whatever his name is. Yeah, Elliot. How did I remember that? Not you. <laughs> because there's so many other things. There's better <laughs> things to talk about with this movie. No disrespect to the actor. It's just the character is just bland as all hell. Like that's that, and that's one of the biggest things is that all of the interesting characters are the side characters. Yeah, I agree with that. Our our main character of Elliot. Thank you for remembering that. Um, you know, he wants to bring Amy back to the jungle. He brings Amy back to the jungle, back back to Africa. You know, but then you also have Tim Curry is in this movie as this <laughs> like as this European guy who is obsessed with the city of Zinj. And no, we're not talking about um the of course the much talked about Charlie Hunnam film Lost City of Z. It has nothing to do with that. No, absolutely not. You know, and he he wants to and he and he wants to be involved in this expedition just because, you know, he want he wants those diamonds. He wants the diamonds. Can I just can I just say on that note, it's super weird like whenever I see Tim Curry in a movie, you just know, like, you're so used to that, like, amazing voice that he always has, you know, that, like, great British accent, but, and that was, admittedly, like, I was so, I was actually excited, like, oh, Tim Curry's in this, I didn't think about that, and then he starts talking in this, like, not necessarily bad, but definitely not accurate or very good (laughs) uh, accent, and I was like, you know your movie's bad when you take away Tim Curry's like classic like voice. It's like it's, it's like saying, "Hey, Morgan Freeman, could you do us a favor and talk in a really stereotypical like like Chinese accent or something? We don't want to hear your real voice. Could you just do that?" And then it's just like there's so many awful ideas at play. What do you just suggest that? Just don't do it. And, and he's there, and then Laura Linney is another character that's there who wants to, you know, she's part of this company, and, you know, she has some some interest in this expedition because of her attachment to Bruce Campbell's character, and, you know, hijinks uh, ensue, and they encounter uh, Monroe, as played by Ernie Hudson, who... Yeah! He is, like, he is just, like, every single scene, he is just chewing it up, and just overacting, and it's so amazing. Like he's just pretend. He's like he, he, Ernie Hudson's just cool in general, but like, oh yeah, he is. He is like trying to amp that up to the highest level, and he's just like with lines like, uh, "I run guns, you sons <laughs> of bitches ruin the world." <laughs> <laughs> and that and that's that's one of the big things is that the side characters are so memorable. Like, of course, we said Bruce Campbell. Even in like the short bit that he's in, you know, it's Bruce Campbell. So you're just like, you, you'll never forget Bruce Campbell. You never forget Bruce Campbell. Even in like his bit moments in Spider Man, like his little cameo scenes where he plays these different characters. Like he's the one that gave Spider Man his name in the first Spider Man movie. And he was a maitre d that told Spider Man, no, 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 when the doors are closed, you can't come in. You shouldn't have been late. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the third one, he's like a French waiter. <laughs> it's just. You never forget Bruce Campbell, trust me on that. No, no, absolutely not. But you never forget him. Ernie Hudson, as I said, he's just acting so cool. Tim Curry is just deliciously over the top in this movie. Um, like, like you said, he, he has to, he's using a different accent, but I think that's part of what makes it so amusing is just how <laughs> ridiculous it all is. You're just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> 
I think I think just for me, just watch just like why? <laughs> what is happening? And that is admittedly like part of the music, just like the ideas at play. Hold up now. Those are some of the, the big the big components um with that are that's a, that's our whole cat oh, but we gotta mention we gotta mention Amy, best girl of course in this movie. The best girl the best female This cat. is this is this is by far the highlight of the entire movie, in my opinion, is Amy the talking gorilla. So obviously Amy, you know, they had to have some influence from Coco, um, who was a famous gorilla who, you know, was the most famous gorilla who used sign language. And I'm and that was that definitely had to be some sort of, you know, influence on them uh to do that. And what's funny about Amy too is that she has this technology that they developed where whenever she signs she like whenever she's talking, whatever she's thinking, she's saying she's like they have her verbally say it out loud, like through a machine. So she says like "tickle me, tickle me," <laughs> you know. But she says these uh, she says these ridiculous lines: "Ugly woman, ugly woman." <laughs> <laughs> Poor Laura Linney. She doesn't need that crap from a talking monkey. No, no, she no, she does not. She does not. Oh, did you ever watch Rocket Power as a kid? Oh yeah, you know you you know Reggie. Yeah, the 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 ma- that's her. Really? That's her. Vo- that's that is yeah. That's the voice of Amy. You know what? Amy just became so much cooler. Uh, Shayna uh, Shayna Fox. I think is how you say her name. Shayna Fox. You know what? I love it. Love it. Uh, so there's the little little Nickelodeon connection, which is actually kind of funny because this is a Paramount movie. It's a Paramount movie in the '90s, so that's already like in our wheelhouse. <laughs> Already in our uh, our wheelhouse, um, Amy. Uh, fun fact: even though I don't think she deserved it at the Razzies, they gave her they gave her the nominations for worst new star and worst supporting actress. Oh, oh, n- Razzies! Come on, this one got a number of Razzie nominations. Um, deserve not not entirely undeserved, I would say. Right. <laughs> um, but like. You know, there, there's so many like weird lines in this movie. Like, of course, Amy is this talking gorilla who says things. Amy drinks a like, what does she drink? Like a martini at one point on the airplane. She does. How how wild is that? Like, she gets a first class treatment on the airplane, and then they're like, they like, ex- they kind of excuse it away. They're just like, like one person goes, "Why is this happening?" And they're just like, "Eh, don't worry about it." <laughs> Like there, there, there's that, and of course, like you know, just like any time with Tim Curry with talking about diamonds and the city of Zinge, you know, and, and just talking about how how he wanted to do this. Um, oh, but your favorite. What, what about your favorite line? My favorite line. Um, uh, okay, d- uh, people. I have not watched the De Five Bloods yet, which depresses me. Honestly. Same, same. It, it, I need to watch it. Uh, uh, Delroy Lindo, um, who's been in a number of, of movies and television shows, um, he actually provides a voice in the Disney Pixar movie Up as one of the dogs. He's a great actor. He's uncredited in this movie, fun fact, and I can understand why, because this movie is just not great. <laughs> and he plays this this stereotypical like military guy that you would find in mm-hmm. Africa. And then, like, he brings these people in because there's like there's all this co- all this conflict going on, and you're just like, what is going on? I thought this was about gorillas and diamonds, and there's like there's another conflict going on, and he brings them in, and he's just like, 
like you know have some have some of my sesame kicks <laughs> have some of my sesame kicks <laughs> they're literally just like sitting there on a table and they're talking business but then in the corner you got tim curry i don't know if he's like cautiously eating them because like, i don't know if he wants to be recognized but he just he's just eating the sesame cakes and then out of nowhere <laughs> the character turns and stares him dead in the eye and what does he say what go ahead joy <laughs> so something like looks like spitting out the sesame he has to spit out the sesame cakes <laughs> and, and like because he, he knows this dude and he knows what his reputation is and he's just like no nah, you're not you're not having it that <laughs> you are not allowed the luxury of enjoying this baked good I put a lot of heart and soul into. <laughs> Drop it! That's not exactly what he says, but it's basically what he's evoking, the feeling he's yes. trying to yes. put out there. Then there's even, like, even like the really small other characters, like the one scene where, where the one dude's asking one of the mercenaries or whatever what his name is, and he says, my name is Claude. And he goes, Claude. That's a that's a that's a funny name from from where where, where do you come from? Mombasa. <laughs> that's a funny name from where you come from, Mombasa. He's like, I don't. Have you ever been to Mombasa? He's like, No. What what do you know about it then? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? The only other movie I've seen that guy in was he was one of the the tour guides in the George of the Jungle movie with with Brendan Fraser. Mm. And he has one of my favorite he has one of my favorite lines where. Um, one of the characters, I think it's uh, Thomas Hayden Church's character. Like his, like he slips and he face his face falls right into like poop because you know it's a Disney movie for kids, right? Or it's you know a serious drama. Who knows? <laughs> However you want to categorize it. <laughs> <laughs> and then like um, he, him, and the two other tour guides stare down the camera because there's a lot of fourth wall breaking, and he's just like, "Bad guy falls in poop. Classic elements of physical comedy." Now let's all throw our heads back and laugh. Ready? <laughs> Ready? Oh <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know what? There's things like that, but the thing is, with this, this movie's like a hundred something minutes long, and most of these moments happen in like the first forty to fifty minutes. Yeah, and the rest of it is admittedly, as much as I have this as a guilty pleasure, is kind of a slog to get through. I was surprised how long it took for them to actually get to where they were going. And how, not to say nothing really happens, because, like, admittedly, there are things that happen. They do try to keep your interest. Like, there's a bit when they're on these boats and, like, they get attacked by a hippo. There's, like, a few moments where they've, you know, had to, like, explain. Like, it's, there's there's things, admittedly, that do happen. But to actually get to our central conflict, it takes so long. And when they finally get there, well... It's you know it's it's fine I guess. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember you you telling me you saying to me like in any other movie this would feel like like this would be like an action scene in like the second act or or, or, yeah. some, or something like that. That's what it felt like. But it's like the finale for this movie, you know, and which is weird to say because when you just you you say it out loud without having seen it, you you could say like oh gorillas, volcanoes, earthquakes, uh diamond laser guns and you know people people getting killed by gorillas and you think oh man that's that's exciting but it's actually it feels it's like sillier than what what you know which makes sense for this movie but it feels like so cheap it it really does and you know what Bec and this is this is why you should never have toys 
as a way to advertise or give you an impression of what a movie's going to be because I just remember the toys and how colorful and how unique and how coolly designed a lot of those figures were. You still have one? Yeah, I'm staring at it uh, right now, Mangler. Um, he's my gorilla that I have climbing up my Lego uh, Empire State Building, actually. If there's a gorilla and a building in in your in your man cave, guaranteed something it's going to be climbing it. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. It's just, it's a beautiful piece of work. My impression as a kid was that this movie's going to have these like cool, like radioactive, like super scary, like gorillas that I might not want to see at that age. Cause I was like five or six when it came out, I watch it now and listen, Stan Winston's great. And I'm sure, you know, he put a lot of hard work into it, but whoever did the designs and then gave them to Stan Winston, unless he did them himself, they're all just kind of the same. <laughs> Like again, it just it's it's a preconceived notion. It's a preconceived notion as well, just because I had this impression from the toys. So I'm gonna tell you, if you're excited for like some new thing and you're gonna use the toys to to try to sell it, and you're disappointed, I'm just saying. Yeah, like that. That's really the big thing. Was the toys? This movie got a lot of negative reviews, as I as I already kind of mentioned earlier with the Razzies and, and all that. Um, it was pretty successful though. It made over $150 million on a budget of 50 million. I don't know how much they spent on marketing, but I mean, I was actually surprised to see that this thing didn't totally tank. Did they think about making more? Were they going to try to franchise it? I imagine they would have thought about it if it was like successful enough and if the, you know, reviews were more positive, but I imagine, you know, when you have that kind of profit margin and you go, yeah, maybe there's not much of a future in this as a franchise. Maybe Frank Marshall was like, you know, I think I'm good. <laughs> I did a I did a movie about spiders. I did a movie about gorillas. I'm going to do another one about something else. I think I'm okay. There you go. But So with this movie, like I said, I grew up with the toys. You know, you mentioned the toys a lot. I grew up with the toys. I had Amy. I had, I actually still have my Mangler. I have a bunch of, the, I had some of the human characters and some of the accessories and all that. And that was a big, big part of it for me. And then... You know, the movie, seeing it as, like, the movie, like, the toys, whatever you came up with as a kid, you know, was way more interesting than what the filmmakers were able to put on screen outside of, like, the, you know, oh my goodness, this is so ridiculous, but I love it, you know, sort of <laughs> elements. But also, um, you already had the advantage because your, your gorillas were a lot more exciting, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is this is true. But ultimately, uh, I think another appeal with this movie too is that, and Roger Ebert said this in this review, is that it, it's kind of a movie that they don't make anymore, and it's like a it's like a jungle movie, and there are like jungle movies out there, and they could be incredibly problematic and stuff. Obviously, with you know diff- issues of race and you know animal the way they treat animals and right, all yeah. that kind of stuff and the perception of uh, you know Africa as a continent but i i think you know part of the appeal is that there are some of the supporting actors in this know that this is a ridiculous movie and that it is just kind of dumb and they kind of just they 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 just they just have the time of their lives like people like Ernie Hudson uh Tim Curry uh Delroy Lindo you know they're having a ball with with the roles that they have honestly that is by far like the the biggest positive because no matter how good a movie turns out like i I, it makes me think of like 
not to constantly bring up Tim Burton, but that's my shtick outside of giggling a lot. Um, it makes me think of Dark Shadows a lot because Dark Shadows is also just like not anywhere near that great of a movie by any means or any stretch of the word. But if you ever watch any of the behind the scenes stuff, clearly all these people who are fans of the show and wanting to just make like a silly vampire movie are having the time of their lives. Like Michelle mm -hmm. Pfeiffer and uh, everyone involved were just like so like having fun, like dressing in these like crazy costumes and prosthetics and you know no matter how good a movie turns out like the experience making it will always be an exciting thing if, especially if you're if you're allowed to just kind of go wild like you know the movie might not be like the most successful thing no one ever goes out to make a bad movie but at the same time there are movies that no matter how they turn out you just have so much fun making yeah no absolutely absolutely um i guess my final things with this movie are like yeah, the movie itself is, is not very good, but it definitely is one of those movies that holds a special place in my heart because of the toys, you know, and just because of some of the ridiculous performances and my love of gorillas. And um, especially for our current times, um, I, it's one of those movies that because it takes you to like a new location, it kind of like is that closest thing to like actually traveling, to actually like seeing... It's like, I, I don't know if I mentioned this when we were watching it, but like, you know, one of my favorite types of movies over the course of this pandemic and just how often I've been home is just watching movies where like adventure movies where characters are traveling across the world or like seeing these exotic locations. It's like, obviously it won't be anywhere near as good as actually going to some of these places, but it's like kind of living vicariously through entertainment, like, like an escapist kind of thing to like, oh, like just watching these characters in the jungle, like, I don't know if I would ever want to be in the jungle, but, like, it kind of gives gives you that feeling, though, just like, oh, like, it's kind of nice to feel like, in in a way that you're somewhere, like, in a new location, kind of, like, I don't know, it's weird to explain, but that's how I felt watching it. I forgot, I, I can't believe I forgot to mention Joe Don Baker in this movie. I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> he is, like, he, we, we see him a couple times throughout, He you know, he's, like, Laura Linney's boss, and, you know, he is so ridiculous in this movie. He's another one of those actors that knows exactly what kind of movie this is. And it's our second time with him. Because our first time, he his son, played by Jack Black, was killed by uh, a Martian. Yeah. And uh, I love it to see where he, like his things get destroyed. He's just like, ah, damn it! <laughs> that was the that was one that was just one of the funniest moments too. Just like he takes a golf club and like just breaks one of his own TVs, and then like immediately after he goes. All right, what are we doing? <laughs> just, just the transition to like how calm he was, like that immediately, just like, okay, good, I'm fine now. <laughs> this one, uh, so for Congo, ultimately, it holds a place in my heart, but there is a reason why you might find this for five dollars at Target. And you know what? That's fine, and that's okay. That is okay. It's affordable for people that like it, for sure, for sure. Anyway, we're going to take a quick, quick intermission. When we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the Dark Knight's, uh, one of the Dark Knight's outings in the 90s and Joel Schumacher. Stay tuned. Okay, trainee Allison. Seeing as how this is your first day on the job, I'll cut you some slack. But next time, don't forget to fire your weapon in the air to make your presence known when approaching the suspect. Like so. Oh, 
10-4, Lieutenant Gordon. I'll sure remember that for next time. Okay, kid, no worries. But keep making silly mistakes like that, and you'll wind up slumming it in some one-horse town in West Virginia. I promise you that will never happen, sir. I want to be the finest of Gotham City's finest. Uh, Lieutenant Gordon? Okay, rookie, take note. We are now dealing with an idiot. Duly noted, sir. Gordon here. Go ahead, Detective John. So, you know how I was supposed to be guarding the Wayne family at the theater tonight? Ha! What an idiot. And you also know how I'm training intern Drew on his first day? Yes, I know. Well, I was teaching him my quick draw technique as we were following the Waynes down an alley. I follow you. So I pulled my gun out of my holster really fast and I shot Mr. Wayne. What? But, but wait, that's not all. So I gave intern Drew a gun. Why in the world did you do that? So he could practice his quick draw too, and we pulled our guns at the same time, and he shot Mrs. Wayne. Oh my god. Where are you guys now? In the alley behind the Chinese theater. And you said the kid was there too. Where is he? In the alley behind the Chinese theater. Is he alive? Well, of course he's alive. What do you take us for, a couple of incompetent idiots? Oh, golly, uh, that was very disrespectful of me. I'm sorry, Lieutenant Gordon. I don't accept your apology. Just tell me if he's hurt. Uh, d I mean, does he look okay? How does he look? Uh, he looks scarred for life. You're demoted to an officer and banished to Booker Hole, West Virginia. I hear they need a man to guard a hospital down there. Oh, man. Is Drew there with you? Yeah, he's here. Let me speak with him. He wants to talk to you. Is this intern Drew? I'm sorry. Gosh, sir, I, I'm so sorry. Apology accepted. But I'm still gonna have to demote you. Uh, well, you're an intern. I guess that's about as low as you can get. Um, okay, uh, you're demoted to a guy, and you're gonna go with John to Booger Hole and do whatever you want to do down there. I don't know. But anyway, you're banished to Booger Hole. Gosh, thank you so much. Give me that back. Lieutenant Gordon is a busy man. Stop wasting his time. Uh, 10-4, over and out. Aw, Officer Drew has such a great attitude for a guy who just got sacked. Hmm. Lieutenant Gordon. Yes, Ricky? I've learned a lot from my first day on the job, haven't I? Yes, I suppose so. I've written down everything you've taught me in my notebook, and I plan on studying it for hours every night. You mean... You've been writing down everything I've said today? Absolutely. Even the thing about celebrities being above the law and never committing crimes? Especially that part, sir. Uh, okay, so what are you getting at? I think with this knowledge I could pass the exam to be promoted to lieutenant. Um... And, well, I want to be transferred to Booger Hole with trainee Drew. Oh, uh, okay, well, I, I mean, I guess that's fine. I think I could mold him into the A-list officer I've become with the knowledge I've gained from these past 12 hours. Look, Allison. I sent people to Booger Hole who would otherwise get fired. If you want to be a lieutenant in Booger Hole, you don't have to take no test. I'll just get you some counterfeit credentials and you can take a plane tonight. I am excited. I'll race back to my seedy apartment and pack my bags. God, this night was a bust. Gotham City's most prominent family gunned down by Gotham's boys in blue.
Oh well, c'est la vie. Time for a little mindless entertainment to soothe my jangled nerves. Let's see what's on the radio. I'd like to wish all you cool cats out there in Radio Land a very pleasant Saturday. Well, it's raining cats and dogs out there, and we've got a flash flood warning issued for Gotham County. So grab those surfboards, and we'll go surfing with Tex Ritter and the Butter Sweets coming in hot with Surfing Bat. Welcome back to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. In the last segment, we talked about one of Joey's 90s guilty pleasures. Now, we're getting on to, I guess, at least for me, what I would argue is the reason this episode exists. As you know, I've been trying to get through the entire 90s catalog of adaptations of one of my all-time, if not my all-time favorite character in fiction. Sorry, Joey, for <laughs> having you making you endure this. But you know what? I want to do this, and I appreciate you letting me do this. And <laughs> at the same time, you know, we got to talk about Congo, and that was I felt my my in to to getting this particular entry into the podcast. And it's only going to get crazier when the next one is talked about, as you know. But either way, I I just want to say at the top, I I appreciate you letting me do this and hopefully it's somewhat enjoyable for you as well and we are go we are of course talking about the 1995 camp craze blockbuster from 1995 that is of course batman forever and ever and ever ah joey and joey ever. i'm scared of the evers <laughs> there's one ever the whole title. <laughs> I almost had a heart attack. That's what probably okay. the Warner Brothers execs were thinking, though, when they greenlit Batman forever, because they want this franchise <laughs> to go on forever and ever and ever. Joey! I'm scared of Everest! <laughs> Alright, let me talk about something less scary. So, I had not seen this movie in probably 20 years. And I remember as a child a few things with this. One, the poster of this movie where you have Batman is this big and then you have like 
the other, like, four major characters kind of, like, diagonally shown. Like, you know, of course, Tommy Lee Jones is Two-Face, Jim Carrey's Riddler. Classic VHS box, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I had a po- yeah. huge poster of that in my in my bedroom as a kid. And part of that's because my uncle, my uncle's a huge Batman fan. And in his childhood, in his bed, in his bedroom at my grandparents' house, he has like the, the Batman forever had, had like the Batman forever statues of like Batman, Robin, the Riddler, um, and Two-Face. So those are the images that always like sort of stuck with me. But out of the, the, out of the four of the Schumacher, of the Burton Schumacher era, this was the one I think that like, and you can confirm this too, like this kind of like feels like it gets like tossed aside in a sense, yeah, it's like the the black sheep a little bit of the of the franchise because it's it's one it's the one entry that unfortunately gets pushed with Batman and Robin so often. So like whenever anyone talks about like people will talk about Batman, Batman Returns separately, and I think part of the part of that is also because Burton made like these movies feel so different, even though they're made by Tim Burton with Schumacher his movies have more consistency admittedly as far as like style and tone and whatnot but unfortunately because it, nothing really like came out of the conversation with batman forever outside of just like you know it did better than some of the other ones in when it for when it initially came out but like batman will always be acknowledged as it's the first one it's the one that most people connect with most people grew up with batman returns was the controversial one which i'll get to a little bit more later and then of course batman and robin's the movie that kind of ruined superhero movies for a few years until x-men came out but then batman forever is just kind of there <laughs> it's just it's just like Okay, so I admittedly I get a little bit more. I try to get on its side a lot more, even though there are clearly aspects of it I do not like. But I try to get on its side a little bit more because I'm like, you know what? There, there are actually something worth talking about with this one. Yeah, I was very surprised watching this one. That I mean, I figured there would be elements that I would get into because, like you know, the production design, some of the performances, um, and whatnot, and you know, returning pe- people like Alfred and you know. Uh, Commissioner Gordon in this one. Your favorite. Uh Pat Hingle. Pat Hingle, I feel like gets an expanded expanded role in this one. <laughs> this is the most Commissioner Gordon I think we've ever gotten from these movies so far. <laughs> it, it, it it's kind of wild. Um, but I was actually surprised how much I had a good time with this one. This one I had a lot of fun with. It it actually got me had me very very I was already very excited to do this episode anyway just because the, the the ridiculousness of the topics but like mm-hmm. I, now I feel like oh man there's there's really a lot to lot to unpack with this one <laughs> there's a lot on the table and again there are some things that you're just gonna be like what why why is this here can you stop it please mm. but then there's also a lot of stuff you're like oh it's quite nice for me like it's one of the earliest memories as far as like new releases because like i was talking about the toys with congo and with batman obviously with batman forever i had all the toys like that's the toys i was going to purchase when i was going out to to get you know toys like i I would see congo but i would gravitate towards batman forever so like i had the two packs that came with robin and batman the two packs that came with batman and the riddler i got the two-face i had the 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 batmobile Mm. i had i had not all of it but i had a great amount of it 
and uh, it was like this, and I also had like all the animated series figures from watching that because that was a couple of years after that show was already kind of taking off. The thing is, though, I don't remember seeing it in theaters at all, honestly. Like, I remember, I remember the summer of Batman and Robin a lot more than I remember the summer of Batman Forever, but I remember getting the toys a lot during that time period. And again, like, like with Congo, we were saying, like, it connects back to merchandising and how how important and integral that is for, for a movie, you know. And sometimes, you know, like in the case of Congo, you know, it was like the merchandise is even better than the movie. And, you know, Batman Begins, um, not, not Batman Begins, Batman Forever. Whoa. Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> Don't jump that far. I'm not jumping time. a decade. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, and they, they, the toys were definitely a big part big part of the equation um for you and i do remember like the toys because like you said my uncle you know, uncle you know that's the reason i'm a toy collector is because of him and you know see like the, i do remember some of those toys and some of like the, the cards that they were on and those were kenner as well if i'm not mistaken they were yeah kenner responsible for a lot of those uh, a lot of those toy licenses especially star wars you know and all that so batman batman forever I mean, there's so much to unpack with this with this movie. <laughs> there's oh my god, there there actually is so much. Like first and foremost, we got to talk about the transition, yeah. Because you were talking about merchandising. Obviously, one of the biggest things they found out with the first Batman movie was how to franchise and how to merchandise it. Like that. Like if there's like we talked about that in our in that episode, just how like they took an existing property that had an existing fan base. And essentially just said, why don't we advertise to that? I mean, like, it's very rare that we, or at least to them at the time, it was very rare to adapt something that already had a beloved amount of fans. So they were like, let's let's go for it. So, like, you see so many superhero movies now with the, doing the exact same thing. Now, when they were, they, they clearly wanted to do another one simply because they wanted more money and also because they wanted to continue the franchise and continue the merchandising. But um, their mistake, as I've mentioned, was saying to Tim Burton, hey, because he already said no. They're saying, hey, what if instead of just making a Batman movie, you can make it a Tim Burton movie? And that's when they figured out, that's probably not good for the merchandising. Shoot. <laughs> like, oh God. So obviously, there was a lot of controversy revolving around that because people didn't think they could sell toys based on Danny DeVito spewing black ooze, which I disagree. I would have bought a Danny DeVito if you squeeze his belly and a little bit of black ooze came out. I would have loved that. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. You don't understand. <laughs> I would have been all over that. Yeah. But, like, even, even like, it's funny to think, too, like, like with the Dark Knight and, like, you look at some of those, like, initially released... Um, outside of, like the super detailed ones, but like the initially released like Joker figures and how cartoonish they looked. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Um, I do a bit. Yes, I do remember that. Because like they thought maybe Heath Ledger and like the more like detailed look would look a little too gruesome, maybe for kids. So they so they made the Joker figure like like literally like a cartoon looking thing, right? Like something out of like Batman the animated series or something. So I I think the same was was said could be said as well about like some of the Batman returns figures because I think they looked a lot like like the more like comic booky accurate or like those kinds of like if I remember correctly I could be wrong. 
with Peng with 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 Penguin, they definitely they definitely did that. I remember looking at like some of the figures for that, and it looked like just like just the traditional like Penguin that we we knew for decades before Danny DeVito. Yeah, obviously, you know there was like a big meeting, I'm sure, and they were like, "Tim, come on in. I'm fired, aren't I?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, he he does get a producing credit, and he got to to pick his successor, which is the main reason Joel Schumacher ended up taking the gig because, you know, obviously, I think from what I've heard, like Sam, I know Sam Raimi was lobbying for the for the for the position to direct it. John McTiernan was supposed to possibly direct it as well, which would have been interesting. Like the the guy that did Die Hard and Predator doing a Batman movie, that would be exciting. Oh yeah, Just Bruce Willis in a bat suit, like. Uh, come down to Gotham. <laughs> come down to Gotham. We'll have a few laughs. Mr. Wayne, <laughs> I'm going to flip this coin. <laughs> ho, 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 heads. You can live. You sunk the battleship. <laughs> you know what? Now I, now I wish Alan Rickman played a Batman villain, partially. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so... At least, at the very least, they let him have that ability. So, while they were looking at these guys, you know, because he was good friends with Joel Schumacher, and honestly, if you look at Joel Schumacher's early films, he's a clear candidate for making a great Batman movie. Like, I was telling you, if you see Flatliners, there's actually a great video that Patrick Willems did talking all about this and how he was, like, a great choice, ultimately, to make a Batman movie. However, even though, you know, as it's been said that he wanted to do something more akin to like a Frank Miller style, something like year one or something. Obviously Warner Brothers was like, we need to we we need to make this more quote unquote toyetic. We need to make this franchisable. We need to sell toys. We need to make McDonald's happy. So I need you to actually put a a golden arches in the movie, which they did, and a drive through joke at the very beginning, which they did. <laughs> so if you could do that as well as be able to sell a crap ton of toys to families i think we'll be okay like that opening scene like the way it's edited the way it's paced really does feel like one of those like early mid 90s like fast food commercials not even just because of the line just because of the way it's just like put together it just has that it just has that vibe to it i guess it really does like it's kind of, like, when you know, like, the backstory to how, like, this movie even exists, and then you, like, see, like, certain things pop up, like the Golden Arches, and the scene when Robin steals the Batmobile and whatnot, it's just, it's really, it just really, like, goes, it just really makes you go, I see who has the power here. <laughs> I see who's in control now. All right. You know? But, if, that being said, even though that was, like, his, like, one note was to make the movie family-friendly, and and you know franchise friendly you i can't you still can't say this isn't joel schumacher's movie i agree with that for sure it's stylistically narratively structurally even like the themes and and the things that he taps into from adapting the character to the big screen it's all his so like even if he's has to do it a certain way he still made it his own thing especially this one the batman and robin may have had a lot more studio notes and and more push to make it more toy friendly but this one definitely 
felt more like a movie. I think even Chris O'Donnell obviously, like says that in one of the bonus features is that this one felt like a film, whereas the the next one felt like a toy commercial. And I, I definitely agree with that. Like even if some of the things are like like some of the performances don't work with each other and certain elements might not click here and there, I think it, it definitely begin to end feels more like that there's a movie in place, especially when you have like like Chris O'Donnell's character feels like he has like some character stuff to do in this movie. And he's, he's pretty good, you know, to his, to his credit, you know, Mm -hmm. also on that note, I just want to say again, I know we mentioned it in a previous episode because it happened while we were recording, but rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Rest in peace, Joel. We were like, this is definitely a, a Joel Schumacher movie, as we were saying, and a lot of, like, one of the big things with that, of course, is, like, you know, the the gay element. Yeah, like, this was this was a point of, of anger for a lot of fans for the longest time. Because, you know, obviously they make the connection that, because obviously Joel Schumacher is gay, so he brought this, like, unwarranted, unseen, like, a sense of, like, homoerotic, like, aspect to, to, bat, to his Batman movies. And it's like... Hey, come here a second. Can I tell you a secret? Just, just, just come here. Let me just, just come here. I gotta tell you something. It was already there. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> it was. I don't know if you noticed, but when you're when you're wearing tights and you're running around with a with a younger with an, a younger guy, or at least later on it was a younger guy and not just a little kid. But if you're running around with a younger guy and also in tights, and that's all you do, and you that's all you do, and you just hang out with each other. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with it. It was just something that was ingrained in the DNA of the character. Not that, not, and I'm not saying that Batman himself is gay. I am saying that homosexuality is a big aspect of that character. There's a lot of camp in, in, yes. in, in the Batman, in Batman stuff. I mean, you look at his rogues gallery, it's like, there's a lot of colors and a lot of like, just weird um weird outfits and and whatnot uh but going off with this movie of course like you have the way batman's outfit looks you know with the very detailed like rubber with like you know with the pecs it's it's meant to be very like anatomically correct and very um very much evoking the kind of like greek statues that you would see yeah and even even when you look in front of like in wayne manor you have like the horses but you also have like the dudes with the horses and there's their one shot which is really just beautiful and i think sums up just like joel schumacher and batman is this dude like with like the like with like the chiseled chest like this statue and you see like the really bright flashing colors just going on in the background i'm like that is this the the movie's aesthetic in a nutshell and it's and it's honestly like when you're when you're watching it like it's actually kind of kind of cool just seeing like yeah it's there's a lot going on because there's like there's a lot of neon lights there's a lot like the city itself gotham in this this movie feels very like sprawling and also like kind of convoluted but the designs are still pretty cool yeah again a lot of this stuff the camp the homoerotic nature it was already there and joel schumacher just saw it and tapped into it but obviously he wasn't trying to like you know ruin anyone's childhood he just saw something that has always been there and decided to put more emphasis on it and and ultimately it it works 
because this there's, there's a lot of admittedly there's also a lot of sex appeal in this movie and like both like both ways you know because yeah. like you have like the way we talked about with batman's you know costuming and even, like when you ha- say like the, the the flying like graysons or whatever you see their costumes you know but you also have nicole kidman who whoa i just want to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sorry <laughs> else <laughs> Listen, it, yes. <laughs> so, so sorry. Oh, oh my God! But yeah, like uh, it, it's definitely like it's definitely not just like total like you know once like, like there's clearly some other like other appeals to it. It's almost like Nicole Kidman saw what Michelle Pfeiffer did in Returns and was like, "I can do that. I can do better." <laughs> I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just literally gonna like light the bat signal while I'm in lingerie. And I'm just gonna like walk up to him, like I lit the signal. Can we also just say too that Batman has the least weird-looking outfit in that scene? Because <laughs> yes, you have well, Chase Meridian, right? Who sounds like a bank hospital name, which is the Nicole Kidman character, right? Chase Meridian. Yes, and you have her in her little outfit, and then you have Pat Hingle, the lovely, lovely Pat Hingle, in a, in like in like his pajamas and a robe and his hat. <laughs> yeah, well, the hat makes him official. He he didn't want to just come out there with with no hat because if he didn't have the hat, then he wasn't on the job. It, it made it even more ridiculous. Like <laughs> and then then here's just here's Bruce Wayne just standing there, just like hmm. And I thought I you know having rubber nipples would be the would be the standout in this moment right here. <laughs> like oh man, but can we talk about like the other like cast members? Of course, we Nicole Kidman, you know in this total knockout nicole yeah nicole kidman is by far there's one thing to note about her besides just that she's very attractive but like she's uh a psychologist Mm -hmm. which i just remember various conversations in the past with you and like others in regards to batman how like so often people would just be like why doesn't batman just get therapy or why doesn't batman like have a psychologist and i'm over here just going um well the thing is he's he's had various therapists <laughs> in the comics he has Leslie Tompkins Leslie uh Tompkins and in this movie he has Chase Meridian and that's kind of part of the like one of my favorite appeals of this movie is they actually decide to dive into the psychology of who Batman is like this is the most Batman focused of all the 90s Batman movies. And she's a, she's a big... And Chase Meridian's character is a big aspect of that and why they kind of deal with that. So it was actually really cool to have her character be this like kind of psychologist character or psychiatrist, which I hope... Sorry if I'm getting that wrong. But it actually... It admittedly kind of makes her somewhat of a plot device because she's only there to serve Bruce. But... It's still, it's still like cool to like have that you know lead in. I guess I don't know. Yeah, no, I I definitely a- agree. I, I mean, I hope like because we get so many of like the same things happen in Batman movies, and that's one of those elements that I wish they would bring back at some point. Like if Matt Reeves got to do another Batman movie down the road with Robert Pattinson, like if this this new one's going to be a success because it's a Batman movie on some level, whether it be whether they put it on HBO Max or whatever, but like. I would like to see like like some of that element return because I feel like we need some introspection 
on Batman a bit instead of just like, you know, the other things that are like emphasized all the time with the character going off of that. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff with Batman. Like I feel like they handle like, cause we always see Batman's parents get murdered or some element of Batman's parents in a lot of these movies, but they handle it very well in this. We got like the funeral, which is a beautifully shot shot sequence in the movie. Similar in fashion to, um, the the Beauty and the Beast movie, the French uh, Beauty and the Beast, because like there wasn't really a lot of like background sets, just a lot of lights and smoke, and just lights and just like the idea of of the of a set being there. Which side note, when I was watching this, because obviously Schumacher directed the the film adaptation of the, the Phantom of the Opera musical, and he was supposed to direct it in the '90s, if I'm not mistaken. And I watched this movie and I go, man, I wish he had directed it in the '90s because I feel like. I feel like it was just such a, it just makes sense, that pairing, Joel Schumacher and Phantom. It really, it really does, especially when you see, like, some of the makeup effects and the costume designs, which also, I don't know if you noticed, did you know that he was a costume designer before he was a director? I did know that, yes. Yeah, so you can, so the costumes are are clearly, like, lavish and, and fantastic and comic accurate in a lot of instances, oddly enough, which is pretty cool. It is kind of surprising. Like, I have never... I have not seen his Phantom, as, as you know. I've I've seen, like, bits and pieces. I've heard the songs, and I'm like, no, thank you. And so, it is kind of upsetting that it... that it, it seems like it's one of those cases where it's a director being held back from really just letting loose. Yeah, I, I, or I don't know, maybe like he thought about what he did in the 90s and decided to go a different way. I'm not sure. My my thing is like I feel like the 2004 film uh Phantom is very like it feels like it's it, it because there's sort like a magic, there's a certain magic to the the musical that because it, it's a stage production you're able to like do certain things, but this it feels like it overexplains things. Instead of having the Phantom shoot fireballs, he gets into a sword fight, or like you see, you, there, it, it's just like the way it's presented. It, it's completely off for the character, and I feel like had Joel Schumacher handled that property in the '90s, you would have a lot more of what we get in this movie with like the beautiful sets, but also like the impression of sets with the you know with statues and and whatnot. It, it would have been a different experience. But beyond that, beyond that. We got to talk about the villains because they're a big part of this um, production. I.e., the rest of the cast because you know we went off on a bit of a tangent, but it was worth going off. On. It was it was worth it. Yes. I don't normally want to start with the negative, but if there's one cast member that just and I hate saying this because I like him a lot, and this is after, funny enough, he won the Oscar. Like like he literally won an Oscar and then decided to be in this movie. Tommy Lee Jones is as Two Face, which. It's already weird enough to see him in a movie like this, kind of. Like, not in the comic book movie, because obviously he was in Men in Black. He was in Captain America. Yes. But he played characters that fit his aesthetic. This kind of, like, like drill sergeant type character. This, like, guy that had a lot of, like, quippy, sort of, like, you know, straightly delivered, but, like, charismatic dialogue. Like, that's, like, the kind of character that he's known for and that he plays best. Mm -hmm. So to see him almost, like, try so hard, try his damnedest to, like, sort of channel that kind of Jack Nicholson energy uh, from Joker in the first Batman movie to play this character, it feels so weird. If he feels so out of place, and 
Um, it just feels like even if like I don't, I just can't imagine him playing this character even in another universe. You know, even in like another no. adaptation, it just feels off. There's like nothing. There's nowhere you can put this version of Two Face and go, okay, that works. And also uh, another side note too, like obviously, you know, obviously they just they you know it doesn't it it, it is what it is. But like you know, you have Billy D. Williams, yeah, you know who played Harvey Dent in the other movie, and it's like. It's kind of a bummer that he didn't get to play, and that would have been totally crazy to have him play that type, uh, that villain, you know, in the '90s. And that was the drive for him to even play the character in Batman, was because yeah, the potential of him playing Two Face, and he was still like supposed to play Two Face, but Joel Schumacher wanted Tommy Lee Jones because he had worked with them, I think, on the Client or whatever, or he was he was he worked with them on another movie, I think. Right. Yeah. And we wouldn't get a Billy D. Williams Two-Face until the Lego Batman movie, the heroes that they are, uh, would give us a proper... Even if he has a, a, a scene in the movie, I'm still happy. And I and I proudly have in my little uh, Lego case of the Lego Batman figures, I have my little Billy D. Williams Two-Face standing next to the Penguin and standing next to the Riddler, oddly enough, who's voiced by Conan O'Brien, but that's, that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> It, it just feels it just feels off. And you said part of that was, was there was some drama behind the scenes. Was that Ooh. with was that with Tommy Lee Jones? Tommy. Well, here's the thing with some of the drama, and we'll get into some of the other actors with this as well. But Tommy Lee Jones, as I said, he's one of those. He's a, he's a scene stealer, and this is what Joel Schumacher said. And I completely agree. Like you watch any movie with him, and is if he's got good chemistry with someone like like in Men in Black he has obviously great chemistry with Will Smith and they're both ste- they both were able to steal the scene and in uh like obviously Captain America Winter Soldier like anytime he shows up he has a lot of great one-liners like he's still skinny like I'm not kissing you you know so like he like he he commands the scene but when you're acting against Jim Carrey and not just any Jim Carrey a 90s Jim Carrey at his prime wearing green you're not stealing anything from anything you're not you're you're not get, like you he tries so hard because he clearly wants the attention he's like a bratty little kid who's just tired of the of the other guy getting all the attention the entire time and that it was like a huge thing like like he apparently hated jim carrey and we're i'm not saying that's exactly why but you can kind of tell their scenes are just so it's so weird. They feel like they're from two different movies for one. And it just it just clashes. It doesn't like it it isn't like a, a beautiful like like peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like it's peanut not. butter and jelly, they're different, but they work out together. They just don't work out as a pair. They're better separately, but even then, like I, I wouldn't want and Tommy Lee Jones, let it be said, is a great actor. Okay. Great actor. Like, Again, he won the Oscar. Before taking this role, we we there's a lot of great Tommy Lee Jones performances. It's just this one is not one of them. It's it's really upsetting. And there's obviously the famous story where Jim Carrey, like obviously when he first officially admitted that yeah, Tommy Lee Jones was was somewhat of an asshat. <laughs> um, where uh, like I guess the story goes, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember it verbatim at all. But like Jim Carrey, like saw him at a restaurant or something. And he gave him a hug or something, and to in to, in Jim's ear he goes, "I don't like you. I cannot sanction your buffoonery." Uh, thank you. It was good working with you. 
<laughs> wow. It's just, um, yeah, there was just a lot of, like, unfortunate tension with that. Um, it's just, and it's so weird. Like, like I completely agree with what you said. It's just seeing those two together in any scene. Like, they have, like, one scene where, like, it's almost like Tommy Lee Jones was clearly the main villain um, throughout, like, the beginning, like, the first half of the movie. Then when Jim Carrey comes in, he completely takes over. Mm-hmm. It's like when you get to the very last scene, it's all Jim. And, like, Tommy Lee Jones is just there. And then, like, they have to finish his storyline, so they have, like, one more scene. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. And it's just, like, and, it, and on that, too, like, within the narrative, like, he becomes the, the central focus of Robin, who's the sidekick character, obviously. So, it, in effectiveness, because of that, it almost makes Two-Face become, you know, the sidekick to the Riddler. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Yeah, obviously, Tommy Lee Jones was not happy with that. Because <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones would have, I'm sure, wanted to be. Because his focus, obviously, his character was wanting to fight Batman. But, you know, what can you do? Yeah. 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 But let's talk about Jim Carrey, though, because Jim Carrey. <laughs> 90s Jim Carrey. This guy, this was one of my favorite actors, like many kids my age um, growing up, because he, you know, he was in, like, The Mask, Ace Ventura. And he was in a Batman movie, which is already a bonus for me. And he he dominated. Like, it was like him and then Will Smith. But it was, I think, at least for me, it was mostly Jim Carrey. It's just, yes, he does have a, a massive element of buffoonery, but you love it. You know, he was like a living cartoon yeah like you just see the way the way his moves the way his expressions are like and i feel like he himself is just such a defining performance because there are other comic book movies that have come out since batman forever that have that trope of the 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 villain (laughs) who starts out as a character who admires the hero but then becomes the villain and they mm-hmm. look ridiculous. Like, like you have, you know, of course, um, recently with Wonder Woman 1984 with the Kristen Wiig character or yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 2 with the Jamie Foxx, Jamie Foxx's Electro. And uh, obviously Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. But it all really it all really stems back to Michelle Pfeiffer because she was kind of the first one. She didn't really admire the hero, but like she was the first one to have like that kind of nerdy like vibe vibe and then she has a transformation yeah i I can i can see that sure so like i always i always say like is this a is this a overused trope or is everyone just trying to be michelle pfeiffer both make sense to me yeah i mean who doesn't want to be michelle pfeiffer let's be honest i just uh like that they're just like like some like his body language in this movie like you said he is just a living living cartoon character you know and he and i think part of like any good comic book character in a movie Half of it is looking good in the costumes. And Jim Carrey wears the costume of the Riddler so well. Like, he, he could have given, like, a terrible performance. But, like, when you see him on that poster, there's no question in my mind that that dude is the Riddler. There's no question about it. Like, just any any outfit or any look the character has, you know, whether he's, like, Edward Nigma, the kind of, like, lowly, like, Bruce Wayne-obsessed guy, which... Obsession is a big key of this whole movie, by the way. Like, clearly, you know, 
he he looks a little bit nerdier, looks a little bit more like a like a typical like comic booky looking scientist. And as the film progresses, he slowly becomes more and more well not slowly, because he immediately goes crazy, because he's already kind of a wacko when we first meet him, as uh they affect affectionately say in the film. Is that a clinical term? <laughs> My opinion is that he's a total wacko. Wacko. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And so, but when he gets the, the green suit on for the first time, that first one is my favorite, though, when he's got, like, the kind of coat with the tights and then, like, the hat. Yes, and, yeah. Like, that's that's probably my favorite of the looks. Then he, he, and then it just, because, again, Joel Schumacher is just an amazing designer. So uh, the Riddler's costumes are so fun in the movie. So, like, there's literally a point when he has, like, a jacket on with question marks that light up. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's got that great line, like, you like the jacket? keeps me safe when I'm jogging at night. <laughs> which I think was in a trailer, which I'm I'm okay with that. That's 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 fine if you're going to have a trailer line, you know, make it a good one. I think it but I definitely think an actor with that level of energy and that level of like I guess buffoonery works great as a Batman bill, especially in a in a movie like this that is very campy, that is very colorful and um dare I say Something that kids could watch, maybe a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and then is that weird to say now? <laughs> I, I guess, but I mean, I, I was like, of course, like my letterbox reviews, like, like you suck my battleship. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that you know what? That's the one like toy advertising in the movie that I'm okay with. Yes, yes, and going uh, to the cast, you know, which is kind of funny because with a lot of these Batman reviews, it feels like we sideline. <laughs> Batman. Yes. <laughs> but you know what? At least with this one, it feels more Batman-centric, so at least I feel a little bit better talking about Batman now at this point with this one versus, like, at least the last one. The last one especially. Oh, my gosh. But but Val Kilmer, I think, is a really... I think he plays the both both parts uh, pretty well, particularly Bruce Wayne. And his look as Bruce Wayne... I think has a different vibe than than the other the other Batman. I was saying this to you because I'm like I look at him and I go he looks like a Wall Street executive. He looks like somebody that would be in uh in the movie Wall Street with Gordon Gecko whatnot. <laughs> and like he he looks like because obviously Batman's a good guy. You know you know yeah. he's not they're not terrible people, but he looks like he could be a jerk like like one of those like stereotypical like businessmen types. You know what I mean? No, 100%. And I think, honestly, like, amongst all the different people that have played Batman, if I'm being honest, just aesthetically speaking, the one that looks the most like both Batman and Bruce Wayne is Val Kilmer. Because, I mean, Michael Keaton, yeah, obviously Michael Keaton, God-tier Batman. Um, But obviously, you know, as Bruce Wayne, you don't immediately think of him... Or as far as like in aesthetics, like like going from comics to this, or like George Clooney. George Clooney was more one sided. Like he he he's more Bruce Wayne than Batman, really. Yeah. And you know, yeah, Bale was pretty good either way. But um, and then with Affleck, you know, he was pretty solid either way. Though he had to wear a wig. But just without having to do anything, and just trying to like be more accurate as far as like to the comics. Val Kilmer definitely fit the bill 
from that point of view. Just like as Bruce Wayne, he's a good looking guy. He's got a great, a great, like commanding, but also like sincere voice. Like he has my favorite Batman voice of some of the, like the other Batmans. Like when he, like he sounds calculated, but also intimidating at the same time. And he says very, he only says things when he says things. He's not, he's not saying too much. He's very stoic, especially in his performance compared to all the other, all these other characters. And that's where I think, unfortunately, he sort of stands out in the wrong way Mm -hmm. because this is a very outlandish, lavish, cartoonish, colorful movie with Jim Carrey eating the scenery up and uh, Tommy Lee Jones like chomping at crumbs because Jim Carrey ate all the food already. (laughs) And you got Pat Hingle running around in, in his pajamas. You got Nicole Kidman just like, just oozing sex appeal anytime you see her. Chris then, O'Donnell with his one earring. <laughs> his 90s one earring. And um, then you got Val Kilmer. And if I'm being completely honest, like he's a great Batman in the wrong movie. Yeah, it's a, it's like kind of like when we talk about like Tommy Lee Jones, where I can't possibly imagine Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face, even though it was a thing that happened. Val Kilmer, you definitely wish there was a Batman movie more tailored for him. And I also just want to give an appreciation for Val Kilmer, too, because he's a terrific, terrific actor. Terrific actor. Obviously, you know, this this movie, you know, I think we think both agree he did a good job as Batman, you know. Yes. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, he's, he's great in that movie. Tombstone, he's great. Tombstone, uh, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, both great. As a Zorro fan, um, he did, like, a, a radio drama as both Don Diego de la Vega and Zorro, where he was able to play almost like the foppish character and he's sort of like a, a, vo- a voice like this and he was kind of annoyed and then he was able to play the intimidating Zorro and you know was able to strike fear in the hearts of villainy that's awesome I am not nearly as good as Val Kim- I definitely if I could I have the CD somewhere so I'll have to like I'll send you a clip when I'm like you know it, he's great <laughs> needless to say he is great and it's also a nice little Batman connection because Zorro exactly though going back to the behind the scenes drama apparently um, according to Joel Schumacher, there was there's obviously rumors for a while because, as you know, Val Kilmer didn't return for the second one, which thankfully he didn't in the long run. But there was obviously rumors that Val Kilmer was rather difficult to work with, and Joel Schumacher, I think, emphasized that in a recent interview. He was like, "No, no, no, no! I never said he was difficult to work with. I said he was psychotic." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh like like he was talking about the differentiation between working with tommy lee jones versus val kilmer with tommy lee jones he never had to worry when tommy lee jones was in front of the camera whereas with val kilmer i guess that's a different story so again i don't know any of the backstory but i do know that um some things did happen like i think on tombstone he caught a guy's sideburn on fire oh wow which I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's the truth, but I heard that that's something that happened. And um, Val Kilmer, in his in a recent interview when he was releasing his memoir that he released last year, um, talked about actually talked about his experience making Batman, but also his experience make uh, like responding to some of those claims of were being difficult to work with. And um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he was kind of apologetic about it. Mm-hmm. So just like saying, like you know, he like he he feels bad if he hurt anybody, essentially, right? Maybe not, maybe not apologizing for for being the way that he was as far as like acting, but like actually hurting anybody, like he apologizes for. 
So I, again, you'll have to look this up for yourself. It's, I think it's a New York Times interview or like Washington Post, one of those publications. But he did mention his time working as Batman, um, how like one of the reasons why he decided not to come back or like the main reason he decided not to come back was obviously with these with these Batman movies, so many people, so many famous people come to visit the sets and check out the sets and obviously they bring their kids. So they ask the actors to remain in costume, you know, let the kids meet Batman. So they get there and Warren Buffett shows up with his kids. And so Val Kilmer was asked to stay in his costume and he was like, okay, sure. Whatever. You know, just like, like, like burning hot in this boiling, like, you know, suit that was made for him. And they came, but like the kids didn't, and Warren Buffett just didn't really care to talk to him all that much. They just wanted to see the sets in the Batmobile. And it was at that point, Val Kilmer was like, there is no Batman. You know, like, that's why, like, so many actors could play the character. Because people more or less project how they would see themselves in the Batsuit versus any particular person. It's like Santa Claus. And so, like, there's just not one particular, like, definitive... Like, you can ask Batman fans, they'll give you a definitive Batman. But, like, to general public, they'd probably just be like, Batman is Batman. That's, you know... So, I mean, I, I get it, because, like... You know, he probably wanted to play... He, like, he really likes to play, obviously, more outlandish, kind of exotic characters. Like, uh, like obviously, Perry in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or Doc Holliday, right? Yeah, Isn't Doc Holliday. the name from Tombstone? Yeah. So, like, those are more exotic-type characters. He probably would have... Like, honestly, if he wasn't Batman, he would have done a much better job as Two-Face. He would have been an excellent Two-Face. He would have been an amazing Two-Face. But as Bruce Wayne, I thought, even if even if maybe he feels more reserved in this, in this movie, I still thought he did a great job. And, like we were saying, this movie actually explores Bruce Wayne a lot more, so we get a lot more of that kind of backstory. And there's actually, like, kind of a subplot where he's having these repressed memories of this, like, red leather book and going to his parents' funeral, which... When we see like that kind of unfor like the trope because it is really now a trope of the Wayne murders, we never go we never really go past like we have maybe a few times gone to the funeral but typically we don't. Yeah, and so to see the sort of backstory that was being built that unfortunately got trimmed down, which is part of the reason why you know there is people calling for an extended cut of the movie. Um, there's this whole backstory kind of delving into an, a repressed memory uh, Bruce Wayne is having in regards to his parents' death, which I'm going to spoil right now. Because did you watch the video I sent you with, like, the deleted scenes? No, I didn't. Shoot. I'm That's okay. Sorry. It's okay. Uh. It's okay. It's okay. No worries. So, as you know, okay, I will say first and foremost, like, as far as the actual subplot of Bruce Wayne like repressed memory stuff in the movie what did you think um i wish i wish there was more i mean and i mm -hmm. i thought it was right? i thought it was really it handled that stuff i think um better than i what i was expecting it to be you know because typically it's like you have the waynes it's like okay i guess we just gotta do this it's like oh you gotta i guess you gotta cel celebrate that every year okay fine whatever <laughs> yeah but like this was actually a buildup because there's obviously this kind of conflict with Bruce because 
he doesn't want to be Batman if he it's kind of, it's it's a similar approach to the to like what they did in Mask of the Phantasm like he he falls in love with someone or he finds love and there's a possibility of happiness but also like like who like he was having an identity crisis like who should he be should he be Batman should he be Bruce Wayne like who should he be and so like it's sort of similar to like Spider-Man 2 in a way but there was obviously a repressed memory buildup and like Bruce Wayne uh because obviously witnessing uh Dick Grayson's family getting killed by Two-Face uh having to like kind of relive his own memories there's that scene if you remember where he's like remembering his parents death and saying that he killed them like i killed them and that's never really addressed later i mean it kind of is but it kind of isn't it turns out there's actually a scene that's very much like dagobah and is a reference to the dark knight returns where Bruce Wayne, like, there's scenes where Bruce Wayne's having identity crisis, and, oh, God, Val Kilmer acts him so well. If Val, if those scenes were kept in, I think people would have had a different opinion of Val Kilmer, because they're so good. Um, then uh, there's a scene where Alfred says, go there. That's your that's where your answers will be, essentially. And so he goes into the section of the Batcave, and he he's sort of starting to remember it, and it turns out this is the place that he fell into, like, when he fell into the hole in the ground, and we first found the cave. And on the ground is his father's red leather book that he kept remembering. And he goes to the last page, like, in kind of a panic. Like, what does it say? And it says in one of the entries, Bruce is insisting we go to a movie tonight. Ooh, so basically, it's insinuating that, as he was saying, it's his fault that he killed his parents. And that's what he was repressing. And so it's and it's such a moment too. Like when you see the pain in Val Kilmer's eyes, um, and especially the way that Joel Schumacher lights it with just like that bar of light on mm -hmm. his eyes, it's it's kind of heartbreaking to see that moment. And it's so sad that it's that it got on the cutting room floor. But it is a bit more of a dramatic scene, and it is a bit more scary because it does um, include a giant like bat creature, to, like have that similar moment that you had in. Uh, the Dark Knight Returns comic, mm -hmm. where he comes face to face with a bat creature, and there's like that metaphor for him, like becoming one with the bat. So he is bat and man. Um, but it's a really, it's actually like a really kind of beautiful, kind of heartbreaking scene, and it just you really wish it was in the movie still. That sounds really good, and like there's some good dramatic stuff that unfortunately didn't make it in the movie. But there's also a lot of like goofy stuff. Like I think about, <laughs> I think about the the end climax of the movie where you have like these Tesla coils going off. Some of it feels like a, like a science fiction cartoon, or actually some of that like so, like the some of like the stuff with like the lightning and all that made me think of like the first uh, Flesher Superman cartoon where they have like the mad scientist, yes, and a lot of that stuff. And you have like you have like the the water that they're on a boat and like things are go exploding and going all over the place. And some of the shots, it's like. A lot of things with superhero movies nowadays, because they can do it, you have an overly detailed, like, cityscape where it looks like that they're in the city or it's like a green screen thing. But this, it's like, they imply the, like, they imply the set with clever lighting and just a few sets and prop pieces and whatnot. Like, you know... It's kind of the, ingenious, really. It really is. And it just, it makes it much more interesting to look at um, when, I, when I'm seeing that. Whereas, like, now it's just like, it. it's just like... I know it's like a green screen thing and that's not to dunk on CGI artists who have a lot of hard work to do, but it's, it, it just takes some of the excitement out of it when you look at, you look at something and it's just, 
that's exactly what it's supposed to be. But with this, it's like a little more abstract. And like I was thinking about like the shot of like Robin that we point, pointed out where it's like the silhouette of him is like a beautiful, you said like a hero shot in the movie. And it, it, was, it was great. It was great seeing something like that. And on that note, you know, we talked a little bit about how it took a second for us to get to Batman. There's one element of this movie that um, gets ignored a lot when it comes to Batman adaptations. Robin. I thought you were going to say how masterful Pat Hengel is in the role of Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> we talked about that already. It's, it's got to move on now. We don't talk about it enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe you're right, honestly. <laughs> Anyways, Pat Hengel. <laughs> no. Okay, Robin. Right? Like, the character has... They've tried it a few times. They've did alterations here and there, but anytime there's like a silly or more cartoonish approach, that's when I feel like most people feel really comfortable in putting Robin on the big screen. So like Teen Titans go to the movies, it was all about Robin, but it was also a kid's cartoon show adaptation. Or the Lego Batman movie, very silly, very much cartoonish, obviously had Robin in it. Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. The only live-action Batman movies, to, besides technically Dark Knight Rises, to have that character. And the 60s Batman. Yes, exactly. Well, yes, of course, you. has Robin, you know. Um, it, it, which is so strange that he is absent from a lot of adaptations, because you think about, like, integral Batman characters outside of Batman, right? You think about the Joker, Alfred, uh, Commissioner Gordon, but also Robin? Robin's a big one. Robin's a huge one. Do Robin's a big one. And it's kind of weird. Like, the, the Dark Knight that kind of tees it, you know, in yeah. in, in Dark, Knight, Dark Knight Rises, in the Snyder, um, in the Snyder verse of, of things. He's dead. You know, he's dead. It's like, wow, that just shows you what they think of that character. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it feels like, I think it's like one of those things where it's like, it feels like such a big ask to have a superhero have a sidekick. Or it just feels like a big ask of the like to say, oh yeah, you know, here's this the the young ward of Batman. We were watching it. You actually, I remember you asking me, will we ever get another live action Robin, or will there ever be one? And I still don't have an answer because again, the character's so ignored unless they're doing something cartoonish, which is the only way they can feel ex like it's acceptable for some reason, or. And I think part of it might be going back to like the you know like they did they don't want um, Batman to run around with a young kid or so like that, that that kind of they they're trying to avoid that aesthetic which again it's always there and it's you just it's just there there's nothing wrong with it. it it's like there are problematic things like with some of these things like yeah you can adjust them and whatnot I don't want to call it problematic because it's not the same thing as like having Ming the Merciless be in Flash Gordon, where Ming the Merciless, of course, has a lot of, like, stereotypical traits, and you just hear the name Ming the Merciless. But, like, it, it's one of those things where it's just part... That is just part of the mythology of Batman. It is. I'm just like, why why avoid it, honestly, first off? And why avoid Robin? Because he is such an integral part of the story. And, like, what this movie tries to, tries to delve with is the idea of Bruce Wayne kind of feeling responsible for not being able to save uh tim or not tim sorry i was thinking of a different robin uh to think to save dick grayson's family right because that's a big thing they deal with in this movie is that he feels sort of responsible for letting them die and that's always a big ac aspect 
of Batman's legacy is just in the comics is obviously, you know, anytime he's had to witness any members of the Bat family lose a family member, it's his, it's his thing that he like, like tries to help them channel it. And, but he like tries to help them channel it sort of in a different way, but then they end up still being a sidekick. And even that story element becomes interesting because now you have this point where it's like, why is this guy continuously like forcing or not necessarily forcing these people to join this lifestyle, but why is it that, you know, this is like a thing now, you know, like it's, yeah. it becomes somewhat of an interesting plot in itself. And that's something I've been wanting too. like, I would love to see like a proper big screen live action bat family. It's like Dick Grayson, bat girl, Jason Todd, even like the Jason Todd thing would be a great storyline. You know, you know, and it's like, it's a matter of like, oh my goodness. It may, cause like Batman is obviously like, yeah, he's done some questionable things, but you know, all through and through he's, he's the hero, but I want to see a Batman adaptation where we have like, like the Robins or like the bat girls or whatever. They're like, you really screwed me up or like, yes, I, I'm yes. Re- I, I am really like, we talked about like, you know, Batman getting anal- like psychoanalyzer or wh- whatever we were bringing yeah. up before. But like, I would love to see like the effects of like Batman had on some of these, some of these youth, like, you know, like at least question it a little bit. And then you have Batman exactly at the end or something because it's a Hollywood movie, but like just have something, have something you could, there's a lot of avenues you could take it. It's it. And it's, it's, there's, it's just great fodder for great stories like you there's so much you can do with the bat family characters you can even have your spin-offs with nightwing you can have a batgirl movie you can have a red hood like you could do so much with these characters and so it sucks how often they avoid the characters like especially with like the upcoming matt reeves movie it's almost hard to imagine if they'll ever add robin to that because here's the thing like robert pattinson is a great actor and I don't imagine he wants to play Batman, pardon the pun, forever. This is true as well. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I, you know, I, I'm sure there, you hear people say, oh, yeah, I could play this character forever. But it's like, no, I want I want to, like, because that's a huge time commitment, too. It is. And, and like, how, uh, what was he, like, his 30, like, early? Yeah, he is, like, 32, 33, somewhere around. Early 30s, you know, he doesn't want to play this character forever, you yeah. know? And, like. You know, when are you going to squeeze a Robin in there in that universe? Probably never. You just can't. And so I'm, I just, I just hope because I know these superhero movies, especially the DC ones are starting to get a little bit sillier, like more in kind of line with the way Joel Schumacher adapted his Batman movies. So maybe hopefully we can get some kind of a Robin situation. And if it has to be with Ben Affleck, I just hope it's with a different director. Or you know what? What could what could be interesting too is Michael Keaton's coming back in. Yeah, um, he's coming back. In, so may, maybe ha- you have like there's a Robin that's out there. You know what? Marlon Wayans was originally cast to play his Robin in the yeah. in the Burton Batman movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. They they storyboarded a whole scene. It was going to be a whole sequence, but. Obviously, they, they, they scrapped the idea, but because they cast him, because they, he went through enough of the process, Marlon Wayans still gets residuals from the Batman movies. So he's making bank. Like, he didn't even have to act. Man, that's amazing. So, like, you know what? I might not like a lot of the movies that he's made with his brothers, outside of maybe a few, but you know what? Tip of the hat to Marlon Wayans. Good on you, man. For sure, dude. For sure. Bring him back. 
you know what? If Billy D. Williams can get some justice in a Lego version, let's get Marlon Wayans in a bat in a Robin suit. Why not? Why not? Or even Nightwing. Could you imagine if Marlon Wayans shows up in like a Nightwing costume in the the in the Andy Muschietti Flash movie? How crazy would that be? No, but because there would be some people. There'd be some people be like, "Yeah, woohoo!" And there's some people like, <laughs> some people like, "What? What? Excuse me? <laughs> well, I don't understand this." And it's like, "Listen, this is a deep cut. <laughs> you don't understand. This is a good deep let's, cut." Let, I'll, I'll explain it to you during the credits. All right. Right now, let me enjoy this. Let me just have fun. Just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Point. And I, you know what? But, but going off of Rob, I think Chris O'Donnell does a pretty good job. Um, he does do a pretty solid job. He's a little bit more like in line because, like, I do remember the word they used for like designs and like tone and style was like MTV generation. Yes, and especially at that time, Chris O'Donnell kind of fits that mold a little bit with his one earring. <laughs> his one earring, and, and I, I was wa- I was saying this. I was watching this. I'm like, man, if James Cameron had made Avatar in the '90s, um, Chris O'Donnell would have been Jake Sully. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit <laughs> i agree uh, and then get tommy lee jones as the as the stephen lang character and it would have worked listen stephen lang does a really good job but tommy lee jones would have done an excellent job with that character as well it fits in his wheelhouse and then you can have stephen lang try to be like outland just like jim carrey like and me and me <laughs> Now I'm just uh, uh, like, like, who are you? Who are you gonna get now for 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 the Riddler? I'm just casting people from Avatar in Batman Forever. <laughs> you, you 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 get the guy who played well, Norm Spellman. I I don't know the actor's name, but like that that oh, dude, yeah. that dude but, as the Riddler, just because. <laughs> you know what? He's available. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. But Batman Forever, just going off of my experience with this, because I haven't seen this movie, like I said, like probably over 20 years. And like there's some moments I remember, some of the silly moments, like, it's boiling acid! <laughs> and, no! of course, hold on. Yes! <laughs> and uh, just like, you know, so of course Jim Carrey and just uh, the, some of the outlandish costumes and designs. It's a lot more, there's a lot more thought put into this movie than what I was expecting it, because typically it just gets lumped into with Batman and Robin as just being the worst thing that happened to humanity. So it's like, oh, by default, this has to be somewhat bad too, because it led to that. But I think it really, on its own, is a pretty solid, for you know, for what it is, pretty solid Batman movie. And also, in relation to how it, like, how it's aged compared to like the superhero boom where we've been in for the last 10 years. It's really, I feel like it's aged pretty well in a lot of regards because we don't see a lot of, and part of it, it's probably just nostalgia as well, but it's like, we don't really see comic book movies just going for it as much, like maybe a little bit more now, like in some more recent adaptations, but you know, you would never see an MCU movie or even a Snyder movie from DC like Batman Forever. No, you would not. You would never see that. You would, like, the closest to, like, any kind of colorful cartoonishness you would see in any of those kinds of movies would probably be, like, Taika Waititi when he did Thor Ragnarok. Or even, like, WandaVision is kind of, like, in that sort of weird wheelhouse a little bit. Um, Not, but not nearly as much. But it's just, that was the thing with Joel Schumacher is that he's, like, 
there, there, there's stories that are always told that, you know, when he would direct, he would direct with this, like, bullhorn and be like, all right, guys, we're making a comic book movie and action! Like, we're making a cartoon and action! It's like, literally, he evoked this, this understanding that, again, comic books and superheroes are, are meant for, ultimately, kids. I mean, at the end of the day, like, this is coming from somebody who, for the longest time, was always like, you know, even though I was spoiled to hell, because a lot of more recent comic books are kind of made for people my age, um, who was very much like, you know, they need to, like, you know, like, stuck in that kind of 80s mindset of, like, they need to, you know, show that comic books are, like, more than just, like, crazy kids things. And it's like, no, they're not. They're, 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 like first and foremost children's material and yeah every and it's like when's the last time you've watched like a kids movie and enjoyed it and for me it happens a lot there's a lot of great kids movies and yeah maybe i'm not the demographic for some of these but there's some really good kids movies out there i also think about like because there's this idea that people want this the, the stuff they grew up with as kids to grow up with them yeah one thing i i think about a lot are the recent mcu spider-man movies they're not my favorites by any stretch of the imagination. I grew up watching, of course, like the Sam Raimi films. But I hear kids, because, you know, I, I, work, I work with kids. I hear them talk about this movie, how much they love Vulture. They love seeing Tom Holland's Spider-Man. They love seeing this, the situations that he get gets into. And I think, you know, sometimes it's okay to say this movie isn't for me. Exactly. Exactly. People have a hard time with that sometimes with the movie. Especially Batman. Especially Batman or Star Wars is another one too, but um, I, I think that with Spider Man, I'm like, yep, you know what? This isn't my favorite thing, but I can really appreciate the fact that a generation of kids like this is their Spider Man, or like exactly. this, is the, this, this is the stuff that they like. So you know, I think that's important. It's very important, and so it's just it would. It's nice to actually have a director like Joel Schumacher again. May he rest in peace. Who clearly i feel like under like for as much as people bag on his on his batman movies and his comic book adaptations clearly understood i feel like those types of movies and that material a lot more than most others did yeah which is kind of funny when you think about it. it's like oh the guy that you know made batman and robin you you argue understands batman better than like christopher nolan and i'm like maybe a little bit yeah yeah yeah, I would argue that for sure. And you know, he 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 saw the things in those in those comics that most others would either outright avoid and think is not there or he would see things like, you know, these are colorful costumed characters in this bright colorful cartoonish world that kids grew up with. Like I think of us, where did we grow up with superheroes? Saturday morning cartoons. So it just it just makes sense, and so he clearly saw that, tapped into it, and for better or worse, I mean, with, with this one at least, it worked really well, it, and it, it made a lot of money. It might not have been the best movie; it wasn't a critical darling by any means, but it's still a Batman movie. You can't deny that, hundred percent. Now, back to the fact that these are because we talked a lot about Batman forever, deservedly so. Um, these two movies, obviously they're, you know, I know you hesitate to use guilty pleasure, but yeah. they're, but it's, it's a, it's a proper term though. It's a ultimately. proper term. 
uh, with the with these movies. I think more mo- that term more applies to Congo simply because I feel like that is more devoid of like maybe actuality, Qual- like actual quality. <laughs> I hate to sound like that because there's some great th- some fun things in Congo. Mm-hmm. Like Batman Forever is I think legit trying to be like a decent like a really pretty decent movie yeah in a lot of ways but i think these movies that they came out both in 1995 mm. had had an impact on, on, on both of us i mean like i think about with, with congo you know with the toys and you with Bat- batman forever and you remembering the, the merchandising and then you know the actual movie itself it's like these things like even if they're not like the greatest things ever can still have some type of impact for somebody so like you think about i was thinking about that with spider-man like it might not have an impact on you but it does have an impact on someone else and that that what what some one one's per like one man's trash is another man's treasure i think that can kind of apply with both of these movies that's sort of the theme and also how important toys are so yeah 100 percent, i agree with all of that i mean everybody will be a fan of something you might you might you might look at something that's why i never really like trashing on any movies like i might not like it but i don't really like just like outright riffing on him all that time all that much mm. oddly enough like i might not seem like that but it's kind of true it's because like i know that s- someone will like this someone will enjoy this or that plus you know no matter like we were talking about like with congo they obviously had fun making that movie and even if the end product wasn't exactly what they wanted or wasn't exactly like the greatest thing they still had a blast clearly same thing with i mean yeah there was a lot of behind the scenes drama with Batman Forever, but you can tell that at least Joel Schumacher, at least at the time, ha- was having somewhat of a, an interesting, uh, like a fun experience, like kind of just making all these great costumes, like these enormous, like exciting sets and locations. And so, like, again, experience matters. And again, people are going to like whatever they want to like. And so, it's I don't know I don't know where I was leading with that but it just kind of trailed off. Sorry, yeah. Uh, po- point being, you know what? Everything has its fans. Um, don't yes. don't un- yes, don't underestimate don't underestimate anything because it might have some type of fa- some type of fan base, you know. And I going into this movie, I did going into Batman uh, Forever, I did not expect I would enjoy it as much as I did. And now this is a movie I actually do want to revisit. Like so far with all these movies, I'm like I do want to watch these movies again outside of the podcast so i think that's a that's a good thing it's a decently high compliment so folks after we talked about an hour and a half about congo with batman forever <laughs> longer than anyone realistically should uh but you know you for, what it's, <laughs> it's like with this podcast you might not think it has fans but it does has have its fans folks this episode some... <laughs> this episode will be someone's favorite episode and i'm okay with that Folks, uh, what are some of your favorite Jim Carrey movies? What are some of your favorite just gorilla or bee movies? Just let's let us know on our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're both on Letterboxd. Uh, anyway, thanks, thanks for tuning in. Uh, check us out next week. Have a good night, everyone. Riddle me this. Who, too, are thankful for you? We. Us. The answer is the dudes uh thank you for listening to this week's episode i'm sorry just got a little out of hand there also thank you to john and kenny armstrong as always making great music for this show every week we love you guys so much and of course a hint for next week's double feature we're gonna get a little sentimental 
about a couple of kids' movies where they're hanging out with monsters. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Stay tuned. <laughs> Excuse me one second. 